Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fancast by a fervent fan. And a fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this, this is the story So Farscape. Farscape. Ooh, we're back into it. We're back into, like, where Farscape all began with wormholes and, and, and aliens and uh, even translator microbes. Yes, we have episode 303, Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Or Self-Inflicted Wounds Part, part one. 1. Yes, we have another two-parter. Or do we? Felt it coming. Yes. Well, at least yes, two-parter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, they probably could milk it for another third, but I don't think. It was kind of like, I think it was about only about three quarters through the episode that I started sitting there going like, okay, this is probably going to be a two-parter. Yeah, we're not resolving it, are we? Because there are, I mean, right up to that point, they could have kind of pulled a quick resolve out. And like, oh, suddenly it's all fixed. Right, Star Trek, yes. Star Trekian resolve. You know, suddenly it's all fixed. We arrive at the conclusion just as the show is about to end. How convenient how that always happens. Yeah, yeah. The big red reset button, even yeah. on Voyager. Convenient. Oh, no, that's uncharitable. Obviously, a lot of these stories were really excellent for their time. But this is Farscape. And Farscape was still sort of like bucking that trend. It had found its footing in the latter stages of season one really soared in season two and was now like this was sort of treated as the middle season concept okay um, yeah. Farscape was really building on its strengths and really separating itself from other science fiction that had emerged in the meantime I think this was also around the time that uh, oh Andromeda I think that had just I come heard out the name yeah that was uh, it was an interesting series based on a premise left over by the late Gene Roddenberry and given form by Robert Hewitt Wolf and then ruined by confirmed shithead Kevin Sorbo, who's just bad. <laughs> so yes, I thought it was a great episode. This one. Yes, let's not, uh, let's, let's not, delve not, into not it. jump ahead of things, but I thought it was <laughs> like, it was solid. It was entertaining. Yeah, it yeah. was uh, episode three or three, coulda, woulda, shoulda, in which, and we have uh, some synopsis uh, sent in by our lovely listeners. Thank you. First one is by Jenna. An old friend contemplates death. A new one contemplates murder. And there are more than three stooges at the drive-in. <laughs> Billy Roberts returns with, while looking for a planet for Zan to heal on, Moya gets into a fender bender. Although he writes finder bender, which, yeah. interesting. Uh, while arguing over insurance information, <laughs> Moya and Pilot are in danger. Gianna and Jothi get to know each other on a personal level. I think he's mistaking. I was going to say. Yeah, I think maybe, just like me, he had a little, you know, his brain got a little confused. Uh, and John sees the Three Stooges. Thank you, Billy Roberts. I don't get the Three Stooges thing. This is like the second person who says the Three Stooges. Oh, well, we'll have to get to the end of this episode and, uh, and right. reveal that then. And Dreamscaper says, Three Stooges lead wormhole experts into each other. Which ship to take and which is more important? Just watch out for head spikes. Oh. Or are, are we referring to all, all the physical comedy-ish which is happening in this episode? Okay, otherwise it's just going to frustrate you. Yeah. Do you remember how at the, at the very end, John is looking through the, the uh, Niala's gizmo, the sort of three-dimensional space Rubik's Cube? Mm-hmm. And there's a black and white image that he freezes on. Right. That's the Three Stooges. Ah, okay. I, I was trying to picture that. I was wondering if it was some sort of like iconic photo from human history that I didn't recognize. Ah, right. And I just must have not recognized it for being the Three Stooges. And Three Stooges is also, coulda, woulda, shoulda, was also a Three Stooges loot. Right. I was thinking like it could have been like a reference to the way Rigel gets treated around, although that's a little bit beyond Three Stooges uh, yeah. territory. He gets smacked around this episode. And he finally, like, he's had enough. Ish. Yeah, like he, he normally he just he just sort of takes it and grumbles like a Muppet. Oh, but this is a Muppet movie. It's much more realistic and romantic, okay? Yeah. But uh, no, he's uh, 
he's quite miffed this time around. I suspect that we're going to have to invoke the Treaty of Mintaka 4 and just yes. skip sort of back and forth a little bit every yes. now and again. Although, you know, you say he's a bit miffed, but I think that he's finally saying the quiet parts out loud. Mm. That's more my yes, take on no, Rachel. I think that's, that's <laughs> I think that's very fair. Gosh, okay. Do we have major threads that we're going to follow? Are we going to take them apart like that? I think we should go beat by beat and then just yeah. follow the threads as I'm they occur to Yeah, us. It, it comes out uh, pretty... Because uh, a lot normally. happens in this episode. Yeah. There's another, another one written by David Kemper, which I always love his dialogue, especially mm. the dialogue that he gives to the uh, the aliens in this case, because we open with... Um, yes, Dargo subtweeting at uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Death isn't always a bad thing, Aaron. Who wants to live when your place in the universe has been suspended? Being a little, uh, a little bit passive aggressive there, but actually we open with a uh, with a to me familiar shot. It's uh, the shot that IET opened with. Oh, we okay. have some uh, some large moons or perhaps a second planetoid. Did and, they actually uh, reuse the entire shot, or yeah. did, did they uh, redo the shot? Completely reused it. Okay. Uh, that occurs a few times. It's. Not uncommon for science fiction shows to uh, recycle existing shots. Oh, of course not. Just look at Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar they, they Galactica. pulled out an entire season of that. Uh, I mean, the original Battlestar Galactica is what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. They uh, had just had one shot of a Viper going left, and then they mirrored it. It's, it's economical. I mean, Star Trek The Next Generation originally did that as well. Mm. They hired Industrial Light and Magic to do all the special effects and the, and, and the ship shots for the first episode. Encounter at Farpoint, nerd points for me. Uh-huh. And, like, they spent a lot of money getting ILM to produce, like, six minutes worth of these shots that they then reused for the le- the rest of the series. So, um, Dargo and Aaron are moving the last of the pods around with uh, the last of the uh, people that were rescued from the uh, ice planet. With the intent... Okay, no, no, hold on. Now I'm a little bit confused because they're moving this last pod, which contains a still-frozen interim... Uh, uh, Red Sonja? Or is that... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's that's the one. I saw a transcript from an internet relay chat from about uh, 2001 with, uh, I think it was Lily Taylor. She mm-hmm. was formerly one of the uh, producers and now also a scriptwriter, where she was asked about, like, is it Interion or is it Interion? Well, it's spelled Interion, she says, but it's got a silent I in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's called an Interion. The Interion's been Interion's. Why? Uh, so yes, this last Interon, but Dargo is complaining th- that they open these up and die, and now John has suddenly decided that because they're a cousin species of humans, they deserve human funerary rights, rights oh. which involves burial. So he wants to bury the uh, okay. uh, the one who died last time. Okay, that makes sense. Although, you know, humans have traditions of other funerary rights. Like right. Spacing seems to be a... a well, yes. Burial at sea, yeah. uh, uh, sky burial in places right. where it's very cold and you can't dig into the... Yes. Right? But, I mean, a lot happens in this scene. One of them is that Aaron asks Dargo, hey, do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Aaron. Look, Dargo, if you want to talk... I'm not ready. How far you have come? Well, I mean, it's warriors among each other, I suppose. And at the same time, Aaron, yes. physician, heal thyself. If you can do this for someone else, why can't oh, you? Oh, come okay. on. We already know that. that yes, like- <laughs> I know. I know. Doctors are the, are the worst patients. Yeah. But she is a very good like therapist, friend. She's, she's attentive. She realizes that he's in pain, that he's got some stuff to work out. And she actually does want to help. And he's like, yeah, I'm not ready to talk about this yet. 
Yeah, fair. She respects that. Yeah, totally. So there's a little bump into the ship that uh, is still sitting in their uh, uh, docking port. Yeah, do you have a fun nickname for that? No, no, I haven't thought about it yet. Because it's uh, got all these fun shapes on it. Nodules, yes. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a... oh, I mean, uh, the Bat Dragon 2, I mean... Don't. <laughs> no, nobody Google that. Protect yourselves, protect yourselves. See, I... I didn't have time to think about, like, cool nicknames or whatever because I was too busy looking at Dargo's new outfit. Mm. Somehow. I noticed he has his new little headdress thingy. Uh, actually, that's the only part that's the same. Oh, okay. But Sorry. bless you. No, he's, he's, he's had that since the beginning. That was actually, uh, so that little sort of leather strap over his head was actually a, like a day two edition when the first rushes came in of, uh, of Dargo, who originally didn't have that. Okay. Uh, then the notes came back from the studio, I think it was the sci-fi studio in the, in the States, that said his head looked like a knob. So there's too much flesh. Can you break it up? Okay. And it's actually really useful because that sort of leather part is now used to hide the seam between the, the helmet that he wears to right. carry the tankers yeah, and yeah. the actual face part. But so that part's the same. The rest is it, he's joined the leather crew. He's gone a bit wider in the shoulders too. I mean, he was already quite yeah. wide, but he's yeah. like now he's like approaching square dimensions. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he's gone very 80s. He got the look. Oh. I love this. I, I, I love that he finally also gets leather. He was he was the last one who was uh, sort of I holding mean, I, out. I liked him in his, uh, I don't know, silks or velvets or whatever it was. Yeah, they're, they're, it's very regal, isn't it? Yes. Like for a warrior culture, they wear very fancy clothes, these Luxons, or at least Dargo. Mm. So, meanwhile, Zahn is still uh, deteriorating. Also, she's mm-hmm. developed a bit of a discoloration on her uh Forehead, which to me, again, it looks almost like she's like starting to bloom or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's like this blush that plants suddenly develop, which actually makes sense because a lot of plants, when they are about to die, put out one last final effort to oh wow to go bloom and like you know it's like they know they're dying so like oh just desperately try to get one more flowering out in order to do a bit more of a. uh, future pre- uh, preservation. So that make, kind of makes sense to me. Oh, in a I kind of like that. Yeah. Also, I think my theory is slowly being confirmed that Zan's going to be put in the soil somewhere and uh, uh, for a regenerative cycle uh, type well, that thing. Is the that is the intention. Right. Uh, that's, that's what Stark said. He found those maps, or he bought those maps last time for mm. an exorbitant price uh, that he volunteered. We're talking about last episode now, but he yeah. gave them a tip that was equivalent to a year's wages. Yes. Yes, Your Eminence, thank you. Because the servant class is always underappreciated. Yes, you know? and even to Zahn's comments, like that he was tipping too much, and Zahn is usually a very generous person when it comes yeah, exactly. to that sort of thing. Yes. So he says that uh, Stark is there, sort of approaches like. I mean, in a sort of very gothic way, he approaches from the shadows and his face is gradually revealed and he says we're less than an arm away from a planet that's that's going to, you know, heal yes. and rejuvenate you with the right weather and soil conditions. He, Zan is not fully acceptant of it. No, no, right? no, she's, she's not. She's accepting death and it would be nice, maybe, to, yeah. uh, to, be, to be planted, but that's not what she's counting on at this point. Not so much which, for Stark. Which is peculiar, but yes, I mean, Stark's like, suffered a lot of loss, and I guess he is very reluctant to lose uh, Zahn now that they uh, can officially have gone into relationship status. Yeah. John, meanwhile, is a low-key annoying pilot by <laughs> bouncing the ball off this uh, <laughs> pilot's clamshell. <laughs> and for, I don't know why, but... He's, he looks sort of annoyed, as if he's, as if he's being jolted by yes. it. A planet meeting Zahn's atmospheric requirements is less than an arm away. 
Also, I noticed that the camera angle on Pilot is a little bit wider than normal. Normal, like his head kind of fills the clamshell, and now yeah, there's I a see. little bit more distance to it. We can get the full width of his uh, his cranium. Yeah. Because, yeah, John's just up there monitoring command. I guess someone always has to be there just in case something happens. Uh, and he's not really taking Pilot very seriously. No. Because we know where we're going. We know what we have to do. And then Pilot says, yes, but actually... So hatch it up, baby. Come on, let's go. I simply thought you'd like to see this before it went away. What? And I thought Pilot was very unusual. He was very panicky and uncoordinated already here. He's like yeah. very, very, very unpiloted. Normally he's quite himself and very uh, in control. Yeah. But here he is very much, yeah, you know, odd and uncoordinated and just like generally difficult. He's almost playing it as if he's being jolted by the ball yes. uh, that Crichton keeps throwing, but maybe he's already being confused by the data that comes out because the thing that he wanted Crichton to see... Is a wormhole. Holy... Right outside the window. Yep, and rapidly approaching. And Crichton just immediately starts yelling science shit. Here yep. comes the science shit. Pilot, take readings. Complete spectrum roll, diffuse electron analysis across the electromagnetic range. It's only theoretical, but look for a dimensional bend in the halo effect. Cool. Do you notice how like incredibly scientifically competent he is again, and uh, with concepts that we are unfamiliar with? Mm. I mean, I don't know how to techno you know, babble wormholes. Well, I was going to say like integrate a Lorentzian field, but yes, techno babble. But, but well, I know that they exist, or do they? Or maybe they don't. Yeah. Maybe they. I, I don't know. But they, they either do or don't exist, and that either does or doesn't matter. That's how physics works. Yes. Yeah. And it's just about what you can prove. So you like deep space physics too? Yeah. Or what you can uh, state and like nobody else can refute, I suppose. Yes, that's the uh, uh, the falsification method that we uh, employ since Karl Popper uh, really contemplated how difficult science was. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, he's yelling all of his all of his science shit and asking pilots to to take a parabolic around it so he can take his module out real quick and take some readings. Mm. Knowing that will delay their journey to uh, uh, to Zan's healing planet. But that's a call he wants to make. He even says, it's yeah. my call. Yes. Which I guess whoever happens to be on the, on the command uh, gets to make those calls in those moments. Then we have the uh, intro break. So I was having a bit more of a listen to that. And mm. I noticed that like, if you listen to John's text, he suddenly like, sees himself as the protector of Earth against anything that uh, might come through. Any, cause he specifically yeah. says, I don't want to open the doorway because Earth is not ready. Like making yeah. it sound like the moment like he finds a way home, Earth is going to get invaded by everything happening out here in the uncharted territories or the, even the charted territories. Yeah. Well, let's let's take this as a read of his mental state now. I mean, it's not something that he's been talking about with anyone on the crew, but he wants to go home. Yes. But he knows what's out here. He's suffered quite a bit. In this true, part of the universe, true, he's not—he's yeah. not as you know as, as as naive and sweet as he was in the in the beginning. He's been constantly hunted by powers that he can't oversee. Will he be breaking Earth's innocence mm. if he returns with those with those pursuers in tow? Now, fortunately, now Scorpius doesn't seem to be on his tail as far as they know. Scorpius is dead. Yes. Uh, so they're, huh? They're actually kind of okay now for a change. It's weird I, to think about. I think so, yeah. And you think, with all, you know, everything is going to be just fine, but no. I guess which is why there's no direct stress. I mean, there's like the stress yeah. of Zahn dying and uh, dealing with that. But other well, than that, yeah, everything is uh, 
That's just like normal show-level stress. So, uh, after the <laughs> yeah. intro, we have a confusing scene on the on command where things are wrong. There's like weird shit all over command. Big white pipes and struts and everything. Yes. And another a different alien. Yes. Is that, uh, is that uh, Ben Browder's wife again? Oh, yes. I thought so as well. It's not. It's a different actress. Oh, but okay. Yeah, she's got the same kind of... I don't know. She's just... I was going to say she's got the same eyes, but she's always had like full, uh, full uh, like eyeball covering contact lenses on. So who knows what they actually look like? Yes, uh, Niala, uh, for, uh, very good from the Lion King. I believe. Path for, no, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? Or in this case, the poison darts. Ooh, yeah. Okay, so we got the intro before the opening credits, which is that Pilot was very confused about some readings, that something was approaching that he could see but not see. It was impossible, couldn't be there. There's a ship approaching, I, I think. Where? Not sure. These readings can't be. Pilot, save the golly gee whiz for later. Just tell me where it is. It's traveling too fast, too impossible all right so far i got not sure can't be an impossible where the hell is it and what we saw was out of the mouth of this wormhole a spiral shaped ship we now know appearing in chunks oh i don't think it was spiral shaped i think the spiral thing is just a, a wormhole visual effect because like later when we see the ship like stuck straight through uh ah yeah Moya, it's just one it is yeah. not. It is, in fact, a, a spiral. We'll look at those oh, okay. uh, uh, those, those gifs. Like, imagine a helix made of long sticks yes. in the uh, in the axis of travel. So that's the kind of. I guess it's like if you if you peel the core of a toilet roll. Yeah. You know the the cardboard uh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm looking at it. And it to me, it, it, I thought it was just like a, a visual effect from the wormhole. Yeah, it's hard to see that structure because you're yeah. seeing it from the. F- Front, and it's almost like they're these components are sort of growing, like it's yeah. it's exiting a four dimensional, you know, space, it's four dimensionally yes. entering three dimensional space and, and arriving here, and thus because it was still uh, uh, forming, and uh, here's some more techno babble about that. We were regaining dimensionality when our ships collided, and must have been subjected to a massive burst of photonic distortion. Alien penetration of our vessel. An impact during phase resolution. What the hell did you do to Moya? Yes, thank you. It actually materializes wedged inside Moya and and punctured through. Yes. So there's like some weird stuff that kind of like merges these things because like yeah, we occasionally we see most of the shots are Moya with extra bits bolted on. Yes. And then there's a few shots which are supposed to be meant to be the command center of the uh, the alien ship. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. We have all these, uh, uh, all these sort of pylons and and diagonal tubes and pipes, and it's all, it's all very seventies sci-fi. Yes, a lot of their like tech, the, the the little wormhole scanning device we see later in the episode also has like it's just a jumble of pipes and plumbing. Yeah, stuck and they're together all chromed this. or white. Yeah, the aliens, um, which I think canonically are called Pathfinders, just because they don't they don't give yeah. their species name. They're wearing these sort of silver jumpsuits. And they have these great faces. They have, like, a sort of reptilian slash fishy look. They have yeah. oversized upper lips and this this, this beautiful mother yeah, of pearl it's, effect it's, on the skin. It's the Botox aliens. Oh, yes. No, it's the okay. lip, lip, sorry, lip tight injections, not Botox. Lip tight? Lip tight, I don't know. It's, it's basically oh, it's like the lipids. Fat, yeah, lipid, mean, yeah, oh, okay, lipid, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, for the, 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 the extra right. the sort of And we overbite. have a scene which is very similar to the first time that John appears yes. on... Uh, Moya. Um, 
Hi. <laughs> My name's John. John. Yep. First of all, everyone's really aggressive. The, Lots of gun, gun waving around, mostly by John and Aaron. But it's John who realizes from what these pathfinders are are, are mumbling about. Hey, they don't understand each other. They're yeah. not, they don't understand us. And they actually talk to each other and go like, "Oh, so many languages, yet they understand each other." Yeah. And, and John just orders like, "Diari, uh, stab him." Niala gets uh, stabbed in the foot. And that sets off their aggression once again. And he goes, no, wait, wait, wait. Wait, why do you have strength? Oh, no, 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 stop. Please, just wait. Wait. Just. My name is John Crichton. Can you understand me? My name is John Crichton. Mm. Like the words that he first tried to make contact with. Hi, my name is John and then he didn't get to finish that first time. <laughs> he gets to make first contact properly. Yes. He's doing it right. This seems to disarm the situation a little bit, but Pilot is not in good straits. No, he is barely responsive. He's, he's being lit from, from below with blue and red. He looks... It's, a, it's sort of bisexual lighting, but he seems not to be enjoying it because <laughs> he is puking green ooze, uh, splashing that all Mostly over... Mostly over Stark and Dargo. Just calm down, Pilot, and tell us how you feel. I feel more. Ah! Ah! I had no idea that he could do that. I had no idea anyone could do that. I apologize. Mostly Starko. <laughs> yes. I guess they kind of aimed the bucket of green goop mostly at Stark because the uh, makeup crew was going like, no, uh, don't yeah. put it on Darko, don't put it on Darko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's with very good reason that like Zan and, and Chi aren't here for, yeah. for that very same reason. <laughs> like with Stark, we just wipe it off. You know? like his mask is washable. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> also, reportedly, I saw also a little chat with Paul Goddard, who plays uh, uh, Stark. Stark. Uh, when he was asked about what Pilot Puke was like, he was like, actually, a lot more delicious than you'd think. <laughs> he really had to play the disgust. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Some, a really nice sort of, sort of carroty I was going to say, I can imagine just some that. sort of jello or whatever it is. Like, yeah. You might as well make it sweet at that point. So we also learn at this point that Moya is still in the wormhole. Yes. They are flying through the wormhole, and we get these little jolts and stuff that signify the transference between one wormhole space to the other because we are told by uh, Nyala uh, and now we have one of those scenes on the bridge of the uh, Pathfinder ship which is great it looks like yeah. a, it looks like an old school TARDIS it does a bit or maybe like the uh, crystal entity ship from the original Battlestar Galactica without the blowout uh, lighting oh very good also a little bit like Krypton in the 1979 film I mean yeah. it's all just like white right. pipes and yes, gleaming plastic exactly. and, and, and metal that you don't understand and it looks so clean and yeah, she's explaining a lot about wormhole physics. Now, yes. can you repeat it back to me as she explained it? Do you do you sort of get the structure that she's talking right. about? Right, there are like wormholes travel in groups. Wormholes always gravitate toward each other in segmented loops. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hunt in packs and you have to be careful that you don't show any weakness because then they, they, they okay, can... Sp- wait. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they can smell fear. Yes. That's what... Okay. Uh, Very, very close. First jolts mean we've exited one fragment of wormhole. And then quickly into another. 
Uh, and yeah, they're, they're basically they're bumping out through the perimeter wormholes, which are kind of like traveling around the one that they are in or something like that. So the way she explains it is that wormholes are, are a structure of connected loops. Mm-hmm. So any one wormhole is a, is a, will just loop and loop and loop, but intersects with other wormholes. And at those intersections, it's also possible to transition to real space. And it actually happens constantly. Say that again. And and that's where they have something called a Faz-Tillen generator, mm-hmm. which I really like that that was named, uh, and it's obviously such a such a sort of science fiction word. So we'll activate your phase. Faz-Tillen. And then later on, like, Aaron repeats it back to her. Am I wrong, or is your Faz-Tillen generator the key? Uh, correct pronunciation, and yes. And I sort of like that, Yeah. right? But yeah, you get this effect where they are bumping uh, in and out through the wormholes, as Rigel says. Wormhole... Normal space. Wormhole. Wormhole. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, as they're making loops around where... uh, Because Moya is stuck in the space between, in the sort of penumbra of the, the wormhole wool so it's 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 all especially chaotic i mean this is the most we learn about how wormholes work so far ever there's a, there's a beautiful sort of spherical cgi creation and it shows that these aliens these pathfinders were on a scientific vessel where they were studying wormholes they're very much like john yeah. in that regard they were gathering wormhole data that although they, need they, to are, they actually know well john wasn't studying wormholes he no, just had to get thrown away through one but yes and there's i i noticed there was a little bit of Amusing tension between Yala and John about that. When John seems to like know a lot of wormholes about wormholes, and he wants to know a lot more, and then yeah. she's just like a little bit dismissive. Like uh, clearly, he knows a little bit about what he's talking about, but yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. just like oh, it's just one of those non-wormhole people. It's like oh, it's like, we have to deal with those all the time, every time this kind of bullshit happens. Yeah, they didn't even know how to use the three seashells. Yeah. <laughs> Do you understand any of those words? Yeah, I watched all kinds of Star Trek. It's just the order that read. You said you studied wormholes. Oh, Zan is uh, looking out the window and she's seeing some stuff. One of the things she sees is through the the haze of the wormholes rushing by is a planet that, I mean, it has a continent that looks an awful lot like the northern United States. Right, but it can't be because if you, I mean, I looked at it, you have the moon which is kind of like the right size. Mm-hmm. And then you have like this Hudson Bay type thing. But then if that's true, then all the right side of that thing should be an ice cap. And it's not. So it's like, I was wondering, like, is this yeah. Earth or is this not okay. Earth? No, and this well is going to come back. But now that I look look back at it at Jeef, I can tell that it's like, no, it's meant to kind of look like Earth yeah. and like make this suggestion, but it's definitely <laughs> not. And she also sees uh, a weird sort of shadow that looks like a, a, a snake. creepy body, a snake. Yes, yeah, like like it escaped from the Matrix. Like I mean, as we <laughs> yes. as we know from uh, Gigi Edgeley, uh, the Matrix was being filmed like on the uh, on the other set right next to it. So I guess oh, yeah, one, of the, right. one of the se- one of the snakes <laughs> must have escaped. And- <laughs> but she interprets that as a harbinger of her impending death, as if it's a, as if it's a sign. Mm. Which which Stark rejects. Yeah, I totally missed that out of uh, first time around. Like only when that thing appears later again, I, I kind of. All right. That. Yeah. Because he says that he can't lose her, and that he has a darkness within him. Because every time he helps someone cross over, he can't help but absorb a little bit of them. Over the cycles, the endless parade of death, I've accumulated a vast reservoir of evil. 
Okay, a little, little, little segue here. Yeah, bring it. Um, in the book that uh, we bought uh, with the uh, the funds from our, our patrons, the, uh, the ah, Farscape yes. role-playing game, there's actually a section about Bannocks. Ah, okay. It, basically all the race, well, all the known races, or many of them, uh, have a uh, have a little section. Yeah, because it covers seasons one and two. Right. So there's some interesting stuff about the uh, the Bannocks. So I believe the oh, are you gonna are you gonna quiz me? I'm going. No, no. Oh, actually, I could like. Okay, what are the Bannocks called, which uh, have the uh, the glowy part showing? Do you know that? Oh, yes, Stykera. Very good. They're yes. they're called. That's uh, that's what Scorpius specifically was looking for. He wanted yes. not just another Bannock. But another Stikera. Yeah, so it's a gap in their corporal form, uh, and it shows uh, their actual non-corporal beingness. Oh, according, at least according to the according role. to the. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's considered canon I don't or not. No, but yeah. at, at least, like it doesn't contradict anything. It's just additional. So are they all? Okay, are they all corporeal and spiritual? But Stikeras have a sort of gap. Yeah, yes, and they ah. and they kind of and they kind of can usually cover that up because if they're not prepared to. Uh, to control it, to contain they, their yeah, energy, contain it, 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 it might damage them. So it's like a, I mean, it's it's sort of like a disability. Like he should have, you know, uh, kind of, but it should have a full covering. But it also gives them opportunity to oh, uh, to so help people take away pain and help them ease onto into into a next life. I wonder if they all have that on their head, or whether there's there's some Stikera out there with just a codpiece <laughs> that they can that they can never remove. Even well, I mean, it's just a bit of glowing light. I mean, I mean, people a lot of people go wide eyed when you uh, remove your codpiece in front of them. So I can see how that would happen. But yes, it turns out like according to the role playing game. Um, Bannocks are conceived in non-corporeal space, and they spend about an, uh, a cycle there learning how to control themselves, and only then are they aided by their parents, and they, they form a, corpor- a corporeal body, and uh, it doesn't really explain if they're born or not, but then they, uh, yeah, they, they materialize in, corpor- in a corporal vessel with help of their parents. That is, oh, that's lovely. I wonder, I mean, it's... it's it's tragic that the Bannocks are known as the Bannock the slave, slave race, race. which is yes. just gross. That's such a glorious thing as enslaved. But I guess it's like the same happened with the Leviathans, you know, a beautiful, beautiful creature that is exploited and abused by yeah. by the peacekeepers in general. Wow, that's fascinating. What an incredible gem. Yes, I mean, it's I, like it's like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know. Any, any deviation from the norm will be ridiculed unless it's exploitable. Oh, wow. Gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a pretty awful but apt a theme for Brood of the Red Nosed Reindeer. Do you know he's a girl? Uh, yes, because they have uh, antlers in uh, around Christmas. So yeah, all yep. the reindeer are, are girls. Yes. <laughs> okay. Wow. So back to the show. Oh, I'm just vibrating. Like this is the first like new Farscape that I've had in, in 22 <laughs> years. Thank you. Oh, this is going to be a fun, fun segment. Let's hope that it returns. Okay, yes, fun is being had by. Let me see. Oh, yes, yes. The last time that uh, Dargo and Stark were with Pilot, Pilot informed them that he was being overwhelmed by the uh, sensory experience of being inside this wormhole wall. Yes. Colors, lights, sensations. This region of space, I cannot function under the bombardment. And that to help him function, he needed to be separated from Moya sensors. So just go down to uh, the neural nexus and start ripping these uh, these sensor connections. I need to not feel what Moya's feeling so I can I can think. Yes. And that's what... It suits Darko quite well because he wouldn't mind destroying something I for a while. I noticed, like, I mean, 
throughout the entire episode, uh, Dargo's style of repairing things is by ripping shit out. No, but it, this is what he's doing. I he's know, but like <laughs> severing. Yeah, okay. Even no. even much later on in the episode, when things seem to have calmed down, he is still just like ripping things out of walls. And yeah, uh, but that's Aaron. He he let him. He she let him do that to, as a sort of <laughs> therapy exercise. You know, some people some people recommend that maybe you try and put a, a, a an IKEA piece of furniture together as you know as a relationship building exercise, or sometimes. I mean, here's a block of wood and an axe. And let's just see how you feel in three hours. Yeah. So uh, while he's doing that, Chana comes and uh, has a little poke in. And I think we should, like, like explore this little thread between Dargo and Chiana here. Yes. And just, like, cover that and, like, not have to come back to it whenever it uh, pops up during the rest of the episode. Because Dargo is still reeling with the pain. Uh, yeah. He's not suicidal about it anymore, but he does bring it up all the time. He still doesn't want to spend time with, with Chiana. What can I do to help? Two tiers down, four chambers across. Moya's external pressure senses. Yank them all. I mean, what can I do about us? Uh, who is contrite. Yeah. Uh, and she, she literally says, like, when I'm cornered, I don't think straight. Which Dargo realizes, well, at least now you're speaking the truth. Yeah. yeah. And that's, like, I mean, I, I can kind of relate to that. You know, it's like, it's, it's the panic, like, when you're cornered. As we say in Dutch, a cornered cat makes strange jumps. Yes. Uh, or a, a, a cat with a cucumber behind it. <laughs> I <laughs> have noticed sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a curious thing. I don't want to let either of them off the hook, no. though, because Dargo has been a real garbage person. And right. Chiana, she, she, she certainly used Jothy. Yes. Right? Mm. This was sleeping with him was strategic for her. Yeah. She did it on purpose, not just because she was really into Jothy, but because he would make Dargo mad, and that is an awful thing to do. So, and he was to trying someone. to get out of, uh, as she literally says, and Dargo says, like, you just had to say no uh, if you didn't want to marry me. Yeah, that's also not that's, true, Dargo. No, that, is, that is very not true. It is to Chiana's credit that she doesn't, like, throw that back at him, that she takes that one on the chin, but uh, I think she knows that that's, that's bull Yeah, trend. that is, absolutely. So uh, I think that, that works actually quite well, because later on in the episode, Dargo... Actually, at first he doesn't re- really doesn't even want to talk to her. Later, no, and later she accepts his rejection yeah. by saying, "Well, uh, if you don't need help, then I'll just go away." Then yeah. later on, when more things need to be ripped out, he actually just starts by just telling her where to go, and it, it's actual instructions and not just take a short walk out of a long airlock. Oh yeah, I think uh, it's she who says, "Well, I wouldn't mind destroying some things right now." Anyway, it, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm kind of in the mood to be destructive, which. I guess, you know, they can both relate to each other in that moment. Even Uh, though they blame each other, they can also relate to each other's pain. And later on, Dargo goes like, well, I'm still not okay with what happened, but at least we can be civil. I cannot take you back, Tiana, but I won't leave you alone in pain. Wow. That's really kind of big. Yeah, that's like giving up a lot. I mean, at least doing a lot of acceptance and like jumping over his own shadow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he's had some retail therapy in the meantime. He went out somehow between, you know, between the last episode and this one, he went shopping and bought himself a new outfit. Yeah, he he might have just, like, finally managed to cosplay his new outfit together from the scraps (laughs) whichever were laying around the ship somewhere. (laughs) Oh, um, I don't know, man. This looks like a kick-ass outfit that he's wearing. It's so symmetrical and really shows off his tits real well. Another little uh, episode is happening. Like, when the situation started happening, everybody started going, taking charge, going places, looking looking at things, taking care of stuff, and Rigel goes like, why is nobody asking if I'm all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ruptures everywhere. Man, Dargo, you guys okay? 
I am but Moira's friend. Anyone here from Aaron? What about me? No one asks about me. And when they all took different jobs to do, everyone's been so competent in yeah. this episode. Aaron, I need you to take Niala's countdown. The rest of us are going to seal the breaches before Starburst. I have the auxiliary conduits. I'll check the Hammond side hatches on the way to command. Move it. Now, go. I'll go to pilot. I'm close to the Celtic vent. And I'll take the cargo bay. Which, I mean, it seems actually useful. Yes, uh, and uh, which is where he is now messing around with one of the pods. And he's like, tighten some valves or loosen them when he shouldn't have. And uh, it, it has opened up the, uh, the last of the three pods. What did you do? Uh. I was checking the hangar. This started leaking. It regulates with self-venting. I tried to close the valve, but it wouldn't turn. Because it was already sealed. Mm -hmm. Then I twisted the other way. Rizal, you opened it, opened it, opened it. What were you expecting when it opened? Did you have any kind of expectations? No, I was just like, okay, there's going to be a person in here. I was like, oh, my expectations in this were, why are they doing this? Why are th what's throwing this in? And that kind Wait, of the, lingered through the uh, through the rest of the episode from a, from a uh, why who from, from a, a show writer ah yeah, okay. from, a yeah, yeah, yeah. from a production standpoint why are they throwing this this character in here and. To be honest, that kind of lingered through the rest of the episode, where yes. uh, where Red Sonia, whatever she's called, Jelushkota knife enter Huvalis. Right, thank you very much. You're I, welcome. I will not be repeating that. Jelushkota knife enter Huvalis. <laughs> what do they call you for short? My whole name. Uh, seems Ask me who who plays in uh, the Fifth Element sometimes, or what that one village in Wales is called. called because <laughs> I spend a lot of my life practicing those things, and I don't get a lot of opportunity to show off. <laughs> I'm sure I will. I will definitely ask you again Thank what you. Red Sonia's is called. So yes, I was kind of wondering because like she doesn't really seem to serve a purpose in the rest of the episode, right? There's, yeah. there's a little bit of gun standoff, and she seems to have think very highly of herself to be some sort of royalty or some other higher life form. She immediately dismisses John as a Sebation. You know me? My race? Sebation. Intellectually suited to carry weapons and die marching in formation. Uh, Good for holding weapons. And but uh, very little other than that. Also seems to have a weird little anger streak where going when her ginger hair goes bright red. Yes, that was a... Uh, there's a bit of an argument between uh, Dave Elsie originally created this uh, this design for for the interiors and specifically this uh, this character of Jewel and he gave her red hair. Wait, which she's, I thought the interiors. Oh no, the path. Oh, she, this, this is the interiors. This is the, the interiors from the right. uh, from the cryo booth that they yes, got from the medical sorry, facility. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. And he he designed her with red hair and then like the director of producer, they sort of okay, that's a, that's a bit much. We should like tone it down to sort of a ginger blonde. And he was like, oh, but the red hair was so cool. And then, <laughs> like David Kemper apparently came in, angel that he is, as Dave Elsie says, uh, with his compromise. What if her mood changes her hair color and she can be pissed off red? She's she got a be... mood ring hair. I mean, how does that work? Like, your hair isn't alive. It's... I know. It's, well, you know... Well, at least not in humans. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, well, I wonder what our cousin species is... I'm sure that Medusa has something to say about that. <laughs> but, but yeah, she's also, other than just her hair, she also seems to have a rather piercing wail. I guess she must be related to banshees or something. Because, like, she's got, li she's literally got a metal-melting voice. Yeah, which also, how does that work? Yeah, how does it, like, maybe harmonic frequencies or something along those lines. 
she she gets pulled out. There's a lot of gun. There's guns waving around. Uh, and but she she's doesn't not impressed. Do ver- and yeah. she, well, she's not impressed. But she doesn't really do anything the rest of the episode either. So let's talk about the important things. What do you think of her outfit? I mean, she's definitely part of the Leather Brigade. She's yes, uh, it's right like from the start, right out of uh, Mad Max again. She's good, yeah. which considering she has uh, also has an Australian accent, is very appropriate. That's Tammy McIntosh. She's uh, she's an actress who used to be uh, uh, who started out as a gymnast and a dancer, and then mm-hmm. became a presenter for a, a children's program in, okay. uh, uh, in, in that, Australia. In that outfit, I don't imagine in that outfit. No, because she's got a she's got a collar on, and then she's gone as you like to call it, gownless evening. Stra- no, no, this oh, is this is an actual strapless evening gown. Strapless evening gown. That's the one. Yes, and sleeves, and it's all made out of out of leather, and it's she's sort of got this this hoop skirt that's half shorts. Like, imagine if you take uh, um, cargo shorts and you inflate them with helium. Yes. And then you sort of set that in really firm leather. That's what she's got going on. That's a fairly apt description, yes. And that's her for the... Actually, we can resolve her her whole arc, which is uh, that Rigel is about to tell her how and why her her compatriots, who turned out to be her cousins, uh, uh, died. Triana stops him from saying that. But later on, sort of vindictively out of vengeance against John. Yes, he tells her anyway. And, yeah. Sets her on a murderous path. Brain samples and a little bit of, like, brain fluid that they needed in order to save John. Yes, and the way Rigel explains it. It's a bit misrepresented of what actually is going on and how much concern they've been having for these people. Yes. Yeah. And it leads her to try and kill John with a rifle that she doesn't quite know how to hold or use. The result of which, happily, is that Dargo gets to discover how to get through the field in that ship. Which that he is then aboard, completely ignored for the rest also, of the episode. Yeah, yeah. That must have been the moment where you went, yeah, two-parter, huh? It kind of went that way, kinda yes. Be. <laughs> because the, the core sort of conflict starts now. Because their attempt to separate from each other with Starburst is disastrous. Yes. It's uh, like an episode of House MD, where it, the first thing you try kills the patient. Yeah, it, it, it knocks... Pilot almost into unconsciousness, does damage to Moya. Irreparable. Yes, circuits start breaking and popping. There's a little bit of talk about, like, popping out of the wormhole first and then separating the ships, maybe, or doing that both at the same time. But now that this attempt has been made, it is apparently a certainty that only one ship can survive. Which we only learn towards the end of this episode. Yes, I found it confusing, even coming back to it, when that that information was delivered. Very, very towards the end. Apparently, everyone is 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 convinced of it. Yeah, because what's going to happen is like the next time that they use their Fastillon generator. Correct pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, one ship will be pushed back into the middle of the wormhole where it can ride out, uh, and the other ship will be popped into real space where it will be atomized. Well, yes, kind of because by uh, differential uh, sp- shearing and forces. Yeah, and specifically the um, biomechanical part of Moya, because we learn from John. That okay. So John goes out in the Farscape module to take readings yes. of the wormhole with a gizmo that he gets from the the Pathfinders, and for yeah. some reason he brings Rigel. What's happening? It's your basic ass kicking wormhole, Rigel. How you doing back there? Lousy. Excellent. I actually have that as a note. Like, why is Rigel being brought along here? I think maybe just to get him away from right. Jewel. I mean, Rigel gets slapped around a lot during this episode, but after they've been like taking the readings by going around this uh, uh, this bunch of wormholes for yeah, a while. Yeah, this, this loop. Uh, apparently 17, and then there's the big gap, and you, Rigel sitting there go, looking out the window going, wormhole, real space, wormhole, real space, which I think we've already covered. Yep. And then Rigel goes like, well, next time we get there, just like jump out and stay out, and we'll be safe. 
Does it ever bother you being selfish? <laughs> it's self-preservation and no. What about our friends? Uh, what friends? We were thrown together against our will, and we're all just trying to make the best of it until we can get the chance to screw the others and get what we want. I vote out at the next gap. <laughs> uh, and he actually sort of reaches for the controls yep. and... <laughs> we're free! Escape! Save our lives! Uh, and uh, actually exits. makes that happen. Because apparently John is not allowed to uh, tell Rigel what to do or make decisions for him, but Rigel is perfectly all right to make those decisions for John. Spoken like a dominar. Which he is and which he always will be. Uh, <laughs> which Zahn apparently uses against him yeah. uh, to make a certain good decision. Actually, yes, let's follow Rigel's thread here for a bit. Because right. this is what happens. He's, he's, in the, he's in the module with John, the white death pod, making a few loops of this, uh, of this wormhole. And he decides to, uh, to exit because they can, right? And they can survive this situation. Mm -hmm. And John is very upset with him and, like... Given that he can't turn around and 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 grab him in the in the yeah, the, he just like elbows him in the face several times over and over and over yeah. until he's broken Rigel's nose. <laughs> Son of a bitch! You break my nose. You ain't got a nose, Guido. You got slits. <sighs> I won't forget this, Crichton. I swear you've attacked me for the last time. You brought it on yourself, Rugrat. Um, Which is like, yeah, he's got green snot drooling out of his uh, nostrils. Yeah, he's even got a little bandage over it later on. And oh. we see him at one point in Santa Apothecary. Yes. I, I, I call it the Dargo cosplay. The what? The Dargo cosplay, because he's got this no shield over his face. <laughs> oh, I like that! Yes, he's... Oh, that'd be so interesting to see, to see Rigel cosplaying Dargo. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah, he's putting together, like, an assassination kit, I think. Poisons or needles or whatever. Oh, the, yeah, the, knife, the, the the little brisk knife that he's stolen from... Uh, yeah. Or it, it, I guess it's just a scalpel, but, you know. And Zan confronts him about that. Do you hope someday to be Domino, <laughs> Rigel? I am still Domino. Always Domino. I mean, ruling from a throne instead of a throne sled. They'll never know if I kill Crichton. But you will. And she... Actually talks him out of it. Ish. At least gets him to put the knife down. Fool the others if you like. But I see the larger goodness in the small Hynerian. She reminds him that he's better than this. Yes. Which is a really interesting way to... She's very stern about it. And yes. She just asks... She holds her hand out like, give me that. You don't actually want to do this. And so I'm wondering about this. Is this some cultural thing where this is like Dominar doesn't kill people. Dominar has people killed. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm suspecting is going on here right now. Where, she, where she's going oh, like, but you're a Dominar. You're not like, you don't kill people. You have staff for that. <laughs> that's such a cynical reading. I mean, I kind of find it hard to argue with. I mean, I thought that this was such a beautiful moment because... Like, she is compassionate toward him at his level. He is appreciated. He even says... Have I ever told you that I appreciate your counsel? And she says... Continuously by accepting it. Yeah. She never needed him to say it. And I thought that was so sweet because she recognizes the larger goodness in the small Hynerian. Right. But now that you've explained it... That he's interpreted it, ah, I should have someone doing my assassination for me. Yes, you're right. That's yeah, no. so... 
I mean, really, it seems to be much more in character for Rigel. <laughs> yeah, he's really returning to type. Yeah. He's really much more, you know, early uh, first season Rigel now than he has between. Because as we've established, he has made no character growth whatsoever. No. Unlike Chi, who, you know, she she suffers because she wants to live, but I she mean, also it loves... it kind of makes more sense because Chi is like, you know, canonically a teenager. Yeah. Rigel is... 800 cycles old at least. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that just like a cycle on Moya doesn't really change it's his character. Really, no, it's yeah. <laughs> it Okay. To, right, so we were following the thread of John in the pot. Yes, because... when he comes back, he, uh, apparently all the Moya components uh, kind of got fried, and that's what we were talking about, yeah. Yes, here's how the argument is. If Moya is the one who has brought... Like, the safe way, the safe exit is into the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And exiting into real space through the wall, that is unsafe and you'll be automatically atomized. Yeah. Now, for Moya to enter the wormhole is actually, like, she's not a wormhole-capable craft, say the Pathfinder. Right. Her design works against her, and John observes all the Moya components, like, broke down. So if Moya's the ship that goes into the wormhole, she may d- disintegrate anyway. Yeah, there might be a, a problem. So the, the Pathfinder craft, the, the Helix, that one is designed for wormhole travel. So, yeah, they're saying that the optimal path is for Moya to be sacrificed yeah. and for the Pathfinder ship to go into the wormhole and then exit to real space. And I mean, it's a really, really harsh uh, decision to make. And I really appreciated how this debate sort of fanned out mm. because you have Team Moya, which is Zan and Stark and let me see who do I, I had notes about who was there, but there's a but the podcast is on it. Here we go. That is Stark and Zan and Dargo. Versus Rigel and John. Rigel mm. and John are pro Pathfinder. Yeah. Weirdly. Rigel makes sense. John wants, I guess, he wants the wormhole technology. He wants to be close to the wormhole people. Yeah. That there's I, a there's a lot playing here. Yeah. Uh, Zan is obviously on Team Moya, who she considers to be a protege now. I mean, I Moya is her responsibility. Cha- yeah, she's been charged by the uh, the, the, the Leviathan God. Yeah. yeah. To the point where she realizes, uh, she asks Stark to stay behind in her stead and minister mm. to them in her absence. Well, that's to the crew, not to Moya. It's herself. Well, yes, yeah. as well. Yeah. I could never replace you. Stark, you must. For me, you must remain here and minister these souls. I'm relying on it. But I love you. If I did not feel the same and more, could I ask this sacrifice of you? Ultimately, the decision seems to be heading towards preserving the, the Pathfinder ship. Yeah. Because that is the, the part that makes most sense. So now we need to talk about these Pathfinders. I am Pathfinder Niana. Okay, how do you feel about these aliens? They're very, I mean, Star Trekian, I would yes. say. Uh, Almost Buck Rogerian as right, well. Yes. In their, uh, right, yes. They seem to have a very strong hierarchical structure. They also have a little bit of uh, strong rules against getting uh, uh, infested by aliens, which she has already broken by getting uh, stabbed by the uh, translator microbes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she'll deal with that. Uh, The the rest of her crew uh, refuse to be uh, microbed as well. So there's there's a little bit of discussion, especially with her first in command. Because then they'll be irreversibly contaminated. with her second in command, and there's a little bit of shouting, especially between Eren when he has to, like, show them around. More trickery, Niala. Of course, they would suggest... You can shut the frill up, I think, because if you're not going to take the translator microbes, you don't participate. But they also have their own thing going on where uh, one of the junior members gets sent out on what's essentially a suicide mission. Entreaties, Pathfinder. Mm. 
I do not enjoy sending you to your death, youngling. But options are depleted. Yes, which we don't know exactly what that is. No, but it seems to be a little bit of backstabbing, or at least contingency planning. Let's be generous and call it that. Because, okay, no, it's interesting that you make that dis- distinction, because what do you feel is the, is the sort of motivation of these, of these aliens? Like, are they villainous? Are no, they- they're, they're, they're explorers. They, yeah. they're, they're a scientific race, I suppose, or at least these people are. Yeah. They, they literally, she literally says that. She asks when she's about to send out her uh, underling, who apparently yeah. is a, a youngster or a trainee or whatever it is, on a, uh, what's going to be presumably a suicide mission. I want to live. More important, do you want your family to live? You know what happens to ours should this ship fail to return. Will you tell them that you thought of them to the end? And she actually asks Erin if she's ever been responsible for a death of her, uh, yeah. uh, one of her people. Uh, and Erin goes like, well, duh. Uh, yeah. And, and she's like, I haven't. And <laughs> It's my first time. Did you know your crew well? Enough to steal my determination. On their memory, I will not fail. In that moment, though, she hopes that Erin will assume that she's talking about Moya, though. Right, that's what right? I'm thinking as well, yeah. But I, I agree with you. She's actually, she wants someone to help her process the fact that she just ordered uh, a, a member of her crew whom she knows and appreciates uh, to her death. So there is something a little bit funky about these aliens because mm-hmm. i mean this must have to be like some sort of north korean type society because there's a literal mention that like you know if we don't come back then our families are going to suffer or something like that yeah. there's a little bit like that they seem to be benign enough which, which i think that may, may, maybe green guy is the politburo officer or something because <laughs> uh, he's <laughs> yes he's from the ministry yes <laughs> yeah I mean, this is really well written because it positions these Pathfinders as there but for the grace of God go, you know... We. (laughs) You bump into Moya, probably things aren't going to go so great for you. I mean... No. Any space station that they visit turns out to be, you know, infested with a a super powerful, like, magic wizard or gets attacked by by storms. I mean, maybe that stuff would have happened anyway, but... Oh, you think that Moya is a bit of a focus for uh, weird stuff? Yeah, it's a, she's a bit of a dread magnet. I mean, look at these episodes. Where is point. an episode where they just go shopping? And well, yes, right, and, and nothing happens. And nothing yeah. happens. No, you run either run into Maldis or you run into other. Uh, <laughs> oh, Maldis from, again? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Yeah. When the storms occurred on the on the on the third shopping trip yeah. in Sons and Lovers, why didn't they assume it was Maldis again? It, was just, <laughs> it would have been <laughs> made sense if they did. <laughs> this is the universe's sales tax, is that anytime you buy something nice for yourself, you yeah. get Maldis. Way Maldis, yes. <laughs> Maldis. Mm-mm. Not his style. Not gothic enough. Okay. I think we've hit on all the major major plots here. We followed uh, Chi and uh, and Dargo. We followed the decision to uh, to separate and to sacrifice Moya because she's yeah. she's in such poor condition. We see a little bit more of John uh, and his control over his own mind space now because while he is reviewing the yes. uh, the photos taken by the weird plumbing uh, device that he's been uh, yeah, slapping around of- on the module, he you can actually see him and Harvey sitting at a, a makeout point again. <laughs> where- <laughs> 
It's a drive-in. I know. <laughs> it's a drive-in. <laughs> John's sitting on the hood of the car having some sort of drink. I don't see we can actually see what it is, if he's having a beer or a... And Harvey's in the car. Grumpy. Grumpy as hell, because, like, Garvey doesn't like to be there. He uh, doesn't like to be summoned like that. Yeah. I resent you calling me here to whim. That's the way it works, Harvey. You don't like it, I can toss you back in the dumpster. John threatens to put him back in the dumpster if he doesn't... <laughs> Which is off to the side and yeah, sort of open just, to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peak Muppets so far. Yes. And he's asking for advice, yeah. I think. He's asking for counsel. And Harvey is a bad one to ask because, I mean... He believes that Scorpius is alive and working on wormholes right now, mm. which is something that uh, that John's concerned about. Okay, if Scorpius is out there and working on wormhole technology, we've got to get there first. Yeah. Do you think Scorpius is still alive? Without doubt. What's he doing with the information he stole from my brain? The knowledge placed there by the ancients is by now centerpiece of a sprawling new research facility. If he masters wormhole technology, what will he use it for? Faster delivery of pizzas. Because it can be a tool or a weapon. Which I guess explains why John is, I won't say eager to leave Moya behind, but makes the choice to go with the uh, Pathfinders. Which is what Harvey recommends. Yeah. He, he, says, I, he says that he's disgusted with John for even thinking, uh, for even, you know, considering the possibility of not taking this fantastic opportunity. I mean, yes, Harvey would be like that because, you know, Harvey is a, mm-hmm. is a Scorpius construct, but still. Okay, so there's one... Uh, arc that we kind of have all touched on it a little bit which is the space worm the the wormhole the serpent worm. Yeah. yeah the the putting the worm in wormhole yes uh so zan sees it at the beginning and thinks of it as a omen of her death yes the goddess has chosen my harbinger a magnificent planet lies just out there to rejuvenate and sustain you a serpent lies between but it turns out there's actually a creature, uh, which is initially dismissed by uh, Nyala as, oh, yeah, they're, they, they, they happen. They only live in wormholes. They're probably not even aware of you. They're mostly non-corporeal. Uh, don't worry about it. The serpent is harmless. Less than convincing. Try again. I never imagined that you would encounter this beast. Otherwise, I would have issued warning. You must believe me. Turns yes. out, mm, not so much. Uh, I believe it is Chiana who gets assaulted by it a little bit. But right at the end, it kind of shows up uh, on command. There's a bunch of shooting, and it disappears again. Yeah. But finally, it shows up when John is reminiscing with his little uh, picture viewer. Uh, uh, in situ- <laughs> with his viewmaster. Viewmaster, that's the word. <laughs> that's the thing I was looking for, yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, he's sitting in Pilot's Den yeah. and really kind of commiserating because he's... Going, to, he's voting to abandon pilot. And that's yeah, what they have pilot to do. is just like completely zoned out. I guess the the, the pilot puppeteers needed a break or something because <laughs> most of the time pilots just sitting there going like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doesn't... Team Rigel got some some fantastic work Damn, to do because they yes. have to wedge themselves into the, the, the Farscape One. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Rigel got some excellent uh, screen time uh, this episode. But yeah, while he's sitting there uh, going through the picture, uh, and he the... sees an image of the Three Stooges yes. suggesting that the Pathfinder vessel passed close. Close enough to Earth through their wormhole travels to pick up that image. Yeah. yeah. And that's when he gets attacked by the trouser snake. Yes. Because it goes for his pants immediately. <laughs> yeah, he has he gets to, like, he's he has to there. do the splits to, <laughs> <laughs> to dodge it because it's, it's going for the goods. Uh, he jumps off the 
the Viewmaster gets knocked to the side. Sparks, he, he it's to, broken. He has to jump across the gap to the bridge and he ends up there dangling from it with the, 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 uh, the, the wormhole snake, snake there. going, uh, <laughs> hanging menacingly above him, his mouth opening like Shai Hulud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I must not fear. Yeah. Fear is the mind killer. <laughs> I will have the trouser snake pass through me and we'll wait. <laughs> and to be continued. Yes. Oh. All right. Willies and Woodies. All right. She gives me a Woody. She gives you the Willies. Okay, my Willie definitely goes to the beating up that uh, Rigel gets. Like it is John, savage. Yeah, John just like elbows him in the face like half a dozen times and just like get him to stop. I mean, I can kind of understand why he does it, but still, it just like it gives yeah. me the, it gives me the Willies. I'm totally with you. I actually struggled to, to to find willies. I mean, that was going to be mine. I'd honestly thought that maybe your willie would have gone to, like, the, the sort of open-ended plot thread of, you already mentioned it, a jewel. Julushka tonight, Fenta Havalis. Right, that she's introduced, because I right. remember that from my first viewing. Uh, I wouldn't call that a willy. That's just, like, I, I suppose it's like she's going to play up in the next episode. On the other hand, I noticed, like, the previous time that they used one of those, it was also kind of a bit of a throwaway. Like, how, how, do you, how do you mean that? I mean, the, the last time that they defrosted one of those guys, it also didn't contribute all that much to the plot. Right. It's just yeah. like, kind of like, oh, yeah, we popped open a can of plot and then we kind of just let it sit on the counter and let it go flat. And mm, yeah. it kind of felt like that as well. It's like almost like that they regretted bringing those plots along and are now like getting rid of them one at a time. So I'm hoping that it's, that's going to pick up during uh, part two of this. Uh, ah, okay. Well, okay, you did have a prediction in episode one that uh, within an episode, I think you said, the, um, the, those plots would become part of the plot. How do you think you fared on that? Poorly. I mean, I mean it, it I was kind of yeah, it's, but they're not like they're not becoming a thing that they have to go after. Like it's I, okay. What I meant right. was like as a uh, predicted was that they were going to make a concentrated effort to do something with it, to help these people to drive the story, which they didn't. Like which the first one who just yeah, died, yeah, which they totally didn't, and uh, the rest would have played out the exact same, even if you hadn't. You'd think so. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's no. There's no search for a way to get these people out of these pods in, right, a, cell, right. in, a, in a safe and sustainable matter. To the point where when the, the, the last cryopod opens, John's hovering over that, wake up and die. Yeah. Hey, sleeping beauty. Wake up and die. Very cynical. Which she doesn't do. Not yet, no, but I mean, we haven't had the 30 microts or 30 minutes or whatever they want to call it yet. It's been a bit of a jam-packed episode. It is. It's been very busy. So, Woody. Yes. Oh, that's going to be harder. Um, they usually are, in my experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> Got them. I mean, hard to say. It's like, I would say, like, the general atmosphere of the episode, things are moving along. There's like, there's clearly some excitement, which, I mean, of course, all excitement is manufactured, but it doesn't feel that way. No. It, it feels like there, there's a crisis and everybody's working. I mean, actually, actually, everybody is working positively. Everybody is working towards either fixing the crisis or, in the meantime, doing a little bit of personal development, working out personal situations. Yeah. Even Zahn, who is dying, has a... Uh, you know, she's, like, coming to terms with that and helping Stark get to terms with that as well. Yeah. The only weird thing in that regard is, like, the scene between Stark and... And Aaron. Yeah. Where, like, it almost seems like he was hitting on her. Something wrong? You're very pretty. 
just he's he's with pilot she's with pilot she's uh, she's operating the controls yeah. and for some reason it's really weird it's, like he Pica- just, it's Picard and Q like you know Q like leaning over Picard's shoulder <laughs> drooling in his ear it's like he says you're very pretty yeah where did that come from I mean this may be like the reservoir of evil that's inside him oh, that he's talking about yeah okay and then Aaron and this is where my Woody goes my Woody yeah. goes to Aaron in this episode because she is so practically empathetic. Yeah. Like, even in this moment, she she hears this weird creepiness from uh, uh, from Stark that she doesn't want to deal with. Uh, you're very pretty. And she says, But I'm not Zan, right? Never be her. And yeah. I never will be. And I'm going to miss her too. Like, she sees this madness is coming from your grief. That's where we're, that's where we're going to talk. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, not going to be your bounce back... Uh... <laughs> Not that well, she's even interested, no, I'm sure. of but course not. She's also like, the way that she talks to John, Very, they've got a great shorthand between them. Mm. You know, she expresses herself in, in, in single word instances, all of her doubts, and he responds in, in, in kind, and they sort of understand each other. But she's also openly uh, admitting to Dargo that she's worried about John and his obsession yeah, is, uh, is blinding him. Yeah, She doesn't get a lot of screen time in this episode, but all of it counts. Yeah, whenever she does, yeah. she, she understands whatever's happening around her. God, physician, heal thyself. If only she could apply that. I just, yes. but yes, we we all have, you know, those are those of us who who try to uh, nurture others. We often have blind spots on the inside. Oh, second Woody, kind of like the alien design. It's so seventies. It's so. I don't think he knows about second Woody. <laughs> Join us, join us next week for episode 304, Wait for the Wheel, the second part of Self-Inflicted Wounds, in which uh, the crew prepares to be starkly gutted, sabotage, spikes, sacrifice, simultaneous schemes, and shedding. There's more than one snake aboard Moya, and Crichton's grandmother is a Robert Jordan fan. Okay, I'm going to have to look some Thank you, things Jenna. up. Thank yeah. you, Jenna. You can find us at SoFarscape on Facebook and Twitter. The links, that we have many links for you. If you want to submit your own synopses so we can read them and please do that for season three that's at sofarscape.com slash submit if you want to help keep the lights on at sofarscape studios and chip in for whatever nonsense it is that we acquire next to help us fuel our research as we did with the uh, farscape role-playing book that's at sofarscape.com slash support and i think there was a third one uh, yes, if you want to submit your own links, have we had that no, one? Yet? We did the synopsis. Oh, oh well, right. probably it'll probably come to me, and I'll feel horribly embarrassed when this airs. But in the meantime, I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so far, escape so good. good.